A little hidden history, a little pedagogy, a lot of ways we can improve our teaching and mindset so that our history and social studies classrooms tell a more complete, diverse human story. I'm Cheryl Ann Amendola, and this is the Teaching History Her Way podcast. Hi there, and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Teaching History Her Way podcast. I am your host, Cheryl Ann Amendola, and I'm really excited you're here today. If you're a first-time listener, welcome, and if you've listened before, welcome back. And someone had commented last week about how I put my contact information typically at the end of the show and thought maybe I should start with it at the beginning. So in taking that person's advice, if you would like to get in touch with me sometime between now and forever, you can email me at teachinghistoryherway at gmail.com or you can catch me on Twitter at historyherway or on Instagram at teachinghistoryherway or my website www.teachinghistoryherway.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you, get some feedback, and let me know if you have any requests for a future show. All right, so last week I had the honor and the pleasure and the privilege of going to the George Washington Teachers Institute at Mount Vernon in Virginia. And it was nothing short of amazing. The staff there treats the teachers like the professionals that we are. And I was treated to meeting and hearing Lindsay Travinsky. I was treated to meeting and hearing Denver Brunsman. I was treated to meeting and hearing Lori Glover. All of these absolutely wonderful professors and writers and researchers, I learned a lot, not just about Washington, because the focus wasn't completely there. George Washington Teacher Institute took great care in centering other voices throughout the four or five days that we were there. And that's one of the things that I liked the most about the Institute. Additionally, You're going to hear a lot more about the 18th century in these future podcasts. One, because I learned a crazy amount of information that is applicable to all of our classrooms at the George Washington Teacher Institute. And also because the 18th century is just my favorite era to study. And I know that arguably there are other other eras that are worthy of my time and attention. And I do not doubt that at all. And it's not my only love, but it is my greatest love. I love learning about the 18th century and the complexities of American life during that time. So if you are interested in the George Washington Teacher Institute or you're interested in any of the education materials out of Mount Vernon, I encourage you to visit www.mountvernon.org. All right, so let's get into the history part of our show. Today, I am going to talk to you all about George Washington's dentures. I got to see these at the Mount Vernon Museum, and it's one, they have one of five sets of dentures that Washington had during his lifetime. The first time he was dentured up was 1799. I wrote a blog post about this last week at teachinghistoryherway.com if you want to take a look at that. But the teeth are a really great way to draw all ages of students into why history is important and how one object can create so many questions and can also elicit so many responses depending on who you are looking at the object and maybe even what time period you're from. So George Washington's dentures are gross. They are so gross to look at. Rumor has it they were really super smelly. Um, So this 
this guy basically had no teeth, painful dentures, and smelly breath at the end of his life because the first pair that he got was in 1789. And they were made of all different kinds of materials. Uh, The one material, the metal material that held the teeth in and the springs on them were made of lead. And then the dentures themselves, all five of them were made from any combination of cow teeth, other animal teeth. I heard a rumor that there's a piece of a hippopotamus tooth in one. There are, um, there's elephant ivory in these dentures and most interestingly, human teeth. More on that in a minute. So let's first talk about General Washington and dispel some myths around his dentures before we get to the larger point of this podcast, which is looking at history from multiple perspectives, not just centering the usual suspects like George Washington. But we're going to take a moment to center him because they were his dentures, and we do need to think about him and his mouth and the reasons why these dentures exist. Well, first of all, George Washington actually took really good care of his teeth, or at least he tried. And Scientists, archaeologists, historians have been trying to figure out whether he suffered from gum disease or whether it was tooth decay. And as far as what the sources at Mount Vernon say, particularly in the museum, we're leaning towards gum disease. So POTUS I took care of his teeth. He had a toothbrush. This toothbrush came with him wherever he went. Uh, toothbrushes were made of wood and horsehair. The one that I got to see at Mount Vernon was made of, um, of metal, of shiny metal and animal hair, non-specified. And toothpaste was made out of powder. Now, interestingly enough, finding out about dental history in the United States is a little bit more difficult than I thought it would be because once I started going down the rabbit hole of George Washington's dentures and teeth and dental hygiene, it was hard for me to find out the history of dentistry. Uh, the British do a really good um, history of dentistry through um, the British Museum of Dentistry, in case you were curious. Uh, Americans, on the other hand, our I find that our quick sources to find, so pub- sources that would be available to the public and easily, um, easily accessible, are not easily accessible or non-existent. So there was a little, there was a little bit of difficulty in researching for this podcast. So first thing we learned, George Washington's dentures are not made of wood. Second, the dentures needed to be adjusted regularly. So Washington had more than one pair. Like I mentioned before, he had five pairs, first pair made in 1789, and he passed away in 1799. So this is 10 years worth of dentures. So he would often have to send them to the dentist in whatever city he was in. Was he hanging in Mount Vernon? Was he presidenting in Philadelphia? Was he presidenting in New York? Okay, so um, these often had to be adjusted, tightened, etc. There was a spring on the back. So Washington did have his own teeth at one point in his life. We know that. Um, They fell out pretty often and he did take care of them. He wore, before he got dentures, he wore false teeth wired to his old ones. Uh, until he got his dentures. So dental work was a part of George Washington's life and dental pain was a part of George Washington's life. I think we can all emphasize, no matter who we are, about having had a toothache or a cavity or a sore in your mouth or um, some sort of other dental ailment, uh, even braces being tightened. um, And we can understand what it feels like to have mouth pain. 
Additionally, whatever it is that you're putting in your mouth is going to shape your face. So just like many of my middle schoolers who have uh, braces, their cheeks sometimes puff up, their lips are sometimes puffed out, and as the braces change the way their smile looks, their facial structure is going to change as well. Well, the dentures are also going to affect your facial structure. So when there are no teeth left, uh, Washington's face looks shrunken in. And in later portraits of Washington, you can see like his lower lip protrudes a bit, especially when he's wearing the dentures. Um, And in the portrait that you see on the dollar bill, the dentures are in his mouth and his cheeks are also stuffed with cotton. So the shape, he was acutely aware and people around him were acutely aware of the shape of his face, particularly when there were no teeth and then when there were other teeth in his mouth. Uh, Additionally, when you're having dental issues, you have to change the kind of foods you eat. So Washington ate ate um, soft foods, and he was particularly grateful for some kind of, and I don't remember which one it was. I didn't write it down, and I should have while I was at the museum, but someone sent him a jar of very mushy pickled fish, and he was super excited about that. I don't know if I would be excited about that, but hey, everybody has a thing, right? So anyway, the last thing I would like to say about Washington is his, and his dentures is that it's a possibility that he was buried with a set of dentures in his mouth in 1799. That is not a way that I think I would want to spend eternity. So let's move on, though, to the deeper question or the deeper meaning behind the dentures. If we have our students stretch their minds just a little bit and allow them time to wrestle with looking at these dentures, and you can do... You can do this with any image that you have, any historical image, whether it's a painting or a photograph. You can do it with a historical article. You can do it with lots of different primary sources. But we want to stop and we want to think. And most importantly, we want our kids to feel. We want them, as history teachers, to empathize with the people of the past. And we just centered Washington and we empathized with him. But then once we give the students a little bit more information, there might be some other places that they decide they want to empathize as well. In addition, if we give them time to think, they might have some questions about something more than just the teeth. So one of the strategies that I learned at GWTI is a little bit different than the strategy that I've been using for the past couple of years when it comes to looking at images. One way that I like to do it is asking the kids, what do you wonder, what do you see? And we just go from there. Now, another strategy that another colleague at the conference told me about is asking, what's going on in this image? What more can we find? And what makes you say that? So either one of these sets of questions is thought-provoking enough to have students look deeper than Washington into the dentures. So I experimented on myself and decided to see, what do I see? What do I wonder? What more can I find? What makes me say that? And I started thinking about the human teeth that are in Washington's dentures. I wanted to know where they came from. I wanted to know who they came from. I wanted to know how he got them. How did the dentist get them? What is the history of dentistry in the 1780s and 90s in the United States? What is the history, a little bit of history of medicine? And what's going on with social class? Can everybody get those dentures? Because part of me thinks based on today's knowledge of today's world, that's not a thing. So 
The fact that there are human teeth in this set of dentures set me down a rabbit hole of let's find out. So there's a lot that we don't know about how the human teeth in George Washington's mouth were acquired. We know generally how dentists got teeth to make dentures, but we don't know exactly who the teeth belonged to before they appeared in Washington's sets of dentures. So teeth, human teeth, for dentures normally came from enslaved people or very poor people who needed cash. So let's think about that. Someone is selling their smile in order to get by or to feed their family or to purchase freedom for themselves or for a family member. Now, the amount of money that you got for teeth I don't think would be enough for a lot, but it's something. It's, it's money. So someone's selling their smile so that someone in the upper class can replace their smile. So I want us just to keep that in our mind. So one thing that we do know is dentists in the 1700s had a stock of human teeth. And those teeth were at their disposal, stored in a drawer or a box somewhere, so that they could mix and match teeth for denture sets that would mix and match to what a person's smile looked like before they lost all their teeth. And this is how they made their sets of dentures for their patients. So if you go to the British Dentistry Association Museum, there's actually an advertisement from a dentist seeking front teeth. And um, I also found an instance in the Virginia Gazette of a dentist who was visiting, I believe, from New York. I was staying um, around Alexandria. And he advertised for human teeth. The doctor's name was Le Mayor. And... People from George Washington's class, upper class people, were not selling their teeth to dentists. This was desperate people in the lower class or in the enslaved class selling their teeth so that they could get some money. So this would include poor whites, free blacks, and enslaved black people. So there, there is a core group of people, a large group of people, that are being called upon to sell their teeth from these uh, newspaper advertisements. So the one in the Virginia Gazette by Dr. Le Mayor from the city of New York, dentist, appeared in 1785. And it says, quote, begs leave to inform the ladies and gentlemen that he has arrived in the city of Richmond where he intends to stay a few weeks and will perform any operations on the teeth hitherto performed in Europe, such as transplanting, etc., etc., etc. Besides, he puts natural teeth instead of false to people who cannot have natural teeth. Dr. Le Mayor may be spoke with at Mrs. Young Husband's. October 18, 1875, any person that will dispose of their front teeth, slaves accepted, may require two guineas for each by calling on Dr. Le Mayor at Mrs. Young Husband's in the city of Richmond, Saturday, December 3, 1785. So elites like Washington could preserve their smiles at the expense of someone who was desperate for cash. Now, that's not to say that George Washington did not pay for his dentures. He did. He sought a service from a dentist, paid for that service, and continued to pay for the service whenever he got his dentures adjusted. It's just the fact that it was socially acceptable to ask people to sell their teeth and then to wear other people's teeth in your mouth that gets me a little bit and makes me have some questions, some more questions about 18th century society and 18th century medical care. We could talk for hours 
about access to medical care in the 18th century, whether or not we even wanted access to that medical care in the 18th century, considering it wasn't based on full-fledged scientific research like it is today. And we could also talk about access, because there were some medical treatments in the 18th century that actually worked. If you had swelling on the brain, trepanning worked. Um, So basically boring a hole into the skull to relieve the pressure. Uh, If you had a cancerous tumor, it could be removed depending on where it was. So, I mean, there was some medical care in the 1800s that was beneficial to people, but not everybody was able to get that. Particular people, particularly people in rural areas who would have had no access to a doctor at all. So that kind of brings me to another important point that I'd like to consider about medical care itself. And this is for dentistry, this is for medicine, this is for everything. There was no anesthesia in the 18th century. So it's not like they were numbing these people's gums. It's not like they were putting them to sleep or giving them laughing gas. Laughing gas comes a little bit later. They're pulling the teeth with something called a tooth key. So it looks kind of like a, uh, a small rod with a hook hanging off it and the hook would be wrapped around someone's tooth and then the dentist or the barber surgeon would twist it really, really hard and use it as a fulcrum to get the tooth out of a person's mouth. All the while, the person whose tooth is being pulled is more than likely in excruciating pain. They subjected themselves to a really painful surgery because they needed money. So I was doing more of my research and some reading and I came across an article from NPR uh, and an author, Richard Holmes, in an interview with NPR, actually said that through his research, he found out that doctors thought pain was a good thing and that the louder and harder a person screamed, that would give the surgeon incentive to work faster and also to be more precise. That's really scary to me. And I know I probably shouldn't make these side comments about history, but it's my podcast and that's really scary to me. So to help fight off some of the pain, sometimes patients were giving alcohol Having alcohol during surgery is not a good thing. Alcohol is a blood thinner. It caused uh, excessive bleeding. Sometimes they were given something to bite down on, which wasn't exactly possible when you were doing oral surgery. And sometimes the person would just pass out because the pain was so, so bad. Now, we also have to remember that if you're wrenching a healthy tooth from someone's gum, you could also cause a major infection. And the reason for this, particularly in the 18th century, is because there was no germ theory in the 1700s. So no germ theory means that surgeons were not washing their hands, they weren't wearing gloves, and they weren't washing their tools even between patients. Additionally, post-operative care in the case of an infection or jaw damage, because jaw damage could happen as well, they were likely unattainable by the poor because the poor couldn't afford a doctor or couldn't get to a doctor unless that doctor was exceptionally generous and would do a case pro bono. Now all of us are probably questioning whether or not there were enslaved people's teeth in George Washington's dentures. In the set of dentures that I saw and any other set of dentures, it's really impossible to know if there were enslaved people's teeth from Mount Vernon in the particular set of dentures. And here's why. First of all, there is record of enslaved people selling their teeth to a dentist from Mount Vernon. And uh, it actually was nine teeth from a group of enslaved people, but that was in 1784, and the first set of dentures was made in 1789. However, those teeth would have been put into that drawer or that or that caddy that I was talking to you about before, or the box, and when the teeth are mixed up, you don't really know whose is whose, and additionally, those teeth could have still been in the box and been one of the ones that uh, Washington's dentist chose 
to put in his set of dentures. So there's really no way to know if anyone who was enslaved at Mount Vernon had their teeth put into George Washington's dentures. But when we consider the stories behind Washington's teeth about social class, about medicine, about access to care, the medical care that existed, the dentures on exhibition at Mount Vernon become about way more than whether or not Washington had wooden teeth or whether Washington was on top of his dental hygiene or figuring out why Washington's teeth fell out. The dentures have something to say about 18th century society. The dentures tell us that there were people who had a lot and that there were people who had very little or nothing at all. And part of me thinks about that person who sold their tooth for two guineas to Dr. Le Mayer and was embarrassed to smile and couldn't ever get a set of dentures the way Washington could because they didn't have that amount of money. They didn't have that access. Part of me wonders about how painful it was for the enslaved folks at Mount Vernon to sell their teeth. And then were they allowed to keep all of the tiny bit of money that they made from it afterwards? Or did George Washington take a cut? But it also alerts me to the fact that there were people who had a lot and people who had almost nothing and were willing to literally sell body parts in order to get by. And if we're not teaching the human story of history and the empathetic story of history, what are we really doing? All right, thank you so much for joining me for this week's Teaching History Her Way podcast. As I said in the beginning of the show, I am so very, very grateful that you're here and I would love it if you got in touch with me. Please come hang out with me on Twitter at History Her Way or on Instagram at Teaching History Her Way or just shout out to my website, www.teachinghistoryherway.com and I hope to see you at our next episode. Have a great week.